welcome to Six Ad World. I'm Mari. And I'm Jasmine. Before we get into today's episode, it is kind of long, um, I am going to do a super brief uh, crime update. Um, please do take um, some time out on your own and look these up on your own for more information because, yeah, I'm just going to breeze through them. Um, first, last week on the day we actually uploaded the episode... Um, there was another school shooting in Santa Fe, Texas, yeah. and 10 people were killed. Um, when I went to look this up, um, to, like, confirm the details, I typed in school shooting, and I found out there was another school shooting um, that took place in Noblesville, Indiana, um, where fortunately only two people were injured, um, and nobody has yet uh, died. Um, I don't, I think it was just, um, minor injuries, um, like extremities kind of a thing. Um, nothing fatal, nothing yet, uh, nothing fatal, um, because the teacher intervened, uh, very quickly from what, yeah, but you can look up all this information yourself. Um, more interestingly, uh, this is the 23rd school shooting this year. And we're only halfway into 2018. Yeah, we're literally, we're not even halfway. We've, we've only oh, done five months. Yeah. We mm. haven't even hit six months yet. Like, it, the end of June is the midpoint of the year. And yeah. we're at 23. Second, uh, last week there was a bombing at a South Asian restaurant uh, here in Canada in Mississauga um, at a restaurant called Bombay Bell. Um, police suspect, um, there are two suspects and, um, they might actually be a man and a woman instead of two men like they originally oh. thought, uh, cause they're dressed in like full head to toe, just like, um, black mm. sweatsuit kind of thing, hoodies and masks and stuff. Um, and they are still on the loose as of yet and, um, they're, um, still investigating. But they're kind of like at the point now where they've collected all the evidence they can and they're yeah. just like going through it. So that's the crime update. Thank you very much for keeping us up to date with what's going on. It's, it's tough. 2018 is tough. Um, a lot of things have been happening. And so I just kind of took the two biggest ones, um, like for me. The, yeah. The, um, but there, there's actually been even, like, so much going on that I, I can't keep up with it. Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, violence. Well, there is not already a lot in the news, but, like, a quite notable amount recently. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, on to today's episode. Um, so, <laughs> I feel like there are a lot of cases I would have heard of before, but, like, now that I think about it, the world is so big. And so much goes on, which means there are plenty of mysteries. And for me, these pieces come kind of straight out of, like, early 2000s, late 90s, like, horror and slasher picks, especially for my case, once you hear about it. Um, it's things like these, uh, cases with so much mystery and, like, no conclusion, that make me remember that reality isn't really that different from fiction. And um, if you're someone as anxious as I am... It just gives me one more thing to worry about in my very, very long list of, like, things I'm worried about in this world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
just like I, I have 20 billion more things to be terrified about now. So what I'm going to talk about today is Dorothy Jane Scott. Um, she was 32 years old. Uh, she disappeared on May 28th, 1980. Uh, that's 38 years and two days before this ep was recorded. Yeah. So it's the 30th day in case anyone knows. just <laughs> <laughs> doesn't know in case they're like, what do you mean? Um, she was a single mother of a four-year-old boy uh, living in Staten, Staten, California. Um, so prior to her disappearance, uh, Dorothy reported she'd been receiving mysterious phone calls, um, who she told her mother about. Uh, she said that she recognized the voice, but couldn't put a name to the voice. Um, the caller would, would express his undying love for her. He'd be like, oh, you're my love, you know, I love you, you're my one and only. But he'd also flip up between that and also expressing incredible violence. Also, I have to give a trigger warning. Murder, stalking, all that stuff. Totally forgot. Um, so, and you tell her that he was stalking her. He would recount her days for her every day, like, oh, today you did this. You were wearing this. Or, and on the phone with her. Oh, that's um, so creepy. Yes, and he once told her to go outside, and she found a dead rose on her the windshield of her car. A dead rose. Yes, a dead rose. So he put a a it's a key, um, a dead rose on her car, which is wild. So and, like he had to be there like recently. Yeah. To do that. Ugh. Yeah. So like he's watching her when she's in her home, and and calling her. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It really, really is. It's happening for months. So at some point, Dorothy considered getting a gun. She started taking um, uh, karate lessons because she's a she's a mother, obviously. So she's not worried about herself, but also her kid. Uh, and this was in like the eighties, obviously. So there wasn't like a like. Cell phones when you're going out to go ask people where you are, where you're going to be. Like, technology was a lot different back then. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, she, Dorothy, would often leave her four-year-old Sean with her parents while she's at work. She worked at Swingers, Sight Shop, and Custom John's Head Shop. Um, it was a joint-owned business. Uh, as a back office secretary, uh, she was apparently very nice and compassionate, according to her friends and co-workers. Um, her brother once said she exemplified the word give. She just give and give and give and give no matter the cost. As the person that she was. A friend also said she was dull as a phone book. So, she, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, that's not necessarily bad. You don't have to be a really interesting person, but there wasn't anything particularly, I don't know, wild or crazy about Dorothy. She was just. Mom like going through the day. was so like, and not even her job necessarily, just the type of business her job was in. Yeah. Was probably the wildest thing about her. Yeah. And she just sat in the bathroom all day, so I mean. Uh, she was also quite religious. She didn't date. She didn't go to parties. She didn't have any, like, rec- any recreational activities. She'd just go home and spend time with her son. So that was like, that was her life. Even my kids kind of like to do that because they require a lot of time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a parent, but like, I assume that like you 
I assume, I know from my parents being parents and I, me being their child, that they didn't have time to do things they probably wanted to do because they had to feed their kid. They got to spend time with their kid. That's what we think for their children, you know. And they they just have to make sure that they're, <coughs> excuse me, that they're around um, mm-hmm. just all the time in case anything happens because, like, childcare costs are, like, hugely expensive. Yes, they're very expensive. So she was up to her parents who were able to wash him when she was working because there was no one else to provide that income for them. Yeah. And you're going to, like, when you come home from work, you're going to want to be like, hey, like, sorry, wasn't around after school. Like, let me make it up to you. Yeah. And spend all your awake time till bedtime yeah. with you. And some people just don't like to go out that much, to be honest. Like, some people just aren't really like that. Me. Me. <laughs> 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 I'm like, oh, I can stay home? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> a little bit relatable on that side. All right, so um, the night she disappeared, she was at an employee meeting at work. So she lived in a, a small business with a small number of employees, so she knew everybody quite personally. And in fact, a few years before, her father actually owned... Um, either both or one of the businesses a long, long time ago. Hmm. So it's kind of, it's almost like a family business a little bit. Uh, around 9 p.m., Conrad Bostron, uh, a coworker of hers, wasn't looking so well. He had a red mark on his arm during the meeting. Um, so he wasn't looking very well. So she, being the compassionate and kind person that she was, drove him and another coworker to the hospital. Turns out, He'd been bitten by a black widow spider. Oh so. my goodness. <laughs> Wait, where does this take place? California. Right, California. That's yes. totally possible. Yeah, yeah, it is. So that is no joke, being bitten by I mean it's, Also shout out to our California listeners, because we apparently do have a few. Oh, do we? Yeah. Hello. They actually take up after Toronto and like the GTA area, yeah. it's like California. California. It's like every USA flag is mm. like California. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> because our accents are very similar to theirs, according to some online things I've seen. Like, people from the GTA sound like Californians, apparently. Makes a lot of sense. We, we, try to be, we try to be a mix of like New Yorkers and Californians. <laughs> but nobody counts. Not that Boston. <laughs> not... We, we don't have time for Boston. <laughs> and so, um, took him to the hospital, the emergency, and, um, Scott and her, Dorothy Scott and her coworker stayed until Bostron was treated. Um, so they'd been there for a few hours and Dorothy hadn't gone anywhere. She stayed there the whole time at his bedside with the mother waiting to emerge. Cause if anyone knows anyone who lives, not lives, who works in emerge, like a nurse or whatever, like my mom, a lot of patients are waiting in emerge for a very, very long time, depending on what time you're going. In day, even still, I was at the hospital a few weeks ago, and like no one was there, and I waited for like half hour. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> like it, nobody's here. It's one o'clock in the morning. It it all depends on the hospital because actually the last time I had to go to the ER, yeah, um, I ended up being in and out of there in like a few hours, and I was so confused and disoriented because yeah. <laughs> I was like planning on like curling up in pain in a chair yeah. for like. Six hours before being seen, but yeah. then suddenly I was in like the bed, and I was like, 
Oh, okay. You're gonna start tests now? Yeah. Alright. Okay. Uh, I gave myself uh, several hours yeah. to prepare for this, and I did not have them. Um, but yeah, that all depends on, on funding and yeah. um, the quality of care mm-hmm. and, and whether or not like um, there are other hospitals around. The staffing and all that. So, anyway, they waited around for a while. Um, on the way to the hospital, they had checked in on her son and just to be like, oh, I'm not coming straight from work. I'm going to the hospital. My coworker, something wrong with him. She changed her scarf on her way to the hospital. Um, around 11 p.m., Bostrom was discharged, her coworker, um, and Dorothy offered to go bring the car around because I don't remember exactly what happened. Maybe bitten by a black widow spider, but you're not going to feel so good for some time even after treatment, so she offered him the car around. Yeah, I'm sure he's on, like, sedatives and stuff like that. Like, usually when you leave the hospital, you're on some kind of medication, and, yeah. and you need someone to, you know, to help you along. Uh, so they waited at the entrance for Dorothy, and after a little while, they saw her car speed right past them, but the headlights were too bright to see who was driving. I tried to flag her down, but it didn't stop. And I think I've heard this story. But, like, you got Because, like... It, it, it probably sounds like it's, like, the most... The most... Not important, but the... Probably the most well-known part of this this case. And after the car had left the... Left the exit, he made a hard right and cut off the headlights. They gave her shit an emergency with her son, and that's she had left so quickly... Uh, and they waited around for a few hours, because, as I said before, this is in the 80s, there's no cell phones to call or check up to see what was going on. And only, like, successful businessmen had, like, car phones. Yeah. And actually, 1980, I'm not even sure if car phones were a thing yet. I thought they were, like, in, like, limos, that they may have had car phones. And, like, like, fancy, like, luxury cars. Maybe, but they weren't that regular but, on like, a thing. it was, like, like businessmen, like, businessmen who needed to be able to, like, call on, like, clients and stuff on the road and stuff. Yeah. Like, they were the only ones. And so, like, you know, like, big money, like, six-figure salary type yeah. of businessmen. Your average family or single mother, obviously, would probably not have a car. A car. Have a phone in their car. Uh, after a few hours, they had reported her missing, and by 4.30 a.m. on the 29th, her car was found 10 miles from the hospital in an alley. I, I'm just like, I'm trying to remember what happened, but I don't. So it's fine. Just keep going. I'm about to tell you. <laughs> so next are the phone calls. Are you related to Dorothy Scott? Yes. I've got her. Hangs up. That was the first of the phone calls to Vera Scott, Dorothy Scott's mother. I uh, remember this. Yes. Um, so over the course of four, four, four years? Yeah, four years, um, the killer would call every Wednesday when he... You don't know who's killing We don't know, but I'm going to assume. <laughs> or maybe someone is messing with them. The caller had called every Wednesday when they assumed that Dorothy's mom would be home to say, I've killed her, or I've got her. Um, The caller, 
slash killer, possibly, even called the Orange County Register News. Um, and an editor, editor named Pat Riley answered, and what the caller had said was, I killed her. I killed Dorothy Scott. She was my love. I caught her cheating with another man. She denied having someone else. I killed her. And then the caller went on to detail about what Dorothy was wearing, what color she had changed her scarf to when she had driven to her parents' house on the way to the hospital, um, what she'd been doing that night, just to confirm that they had been stalking her, at least. Um, so this definitely has to be the same person who did the calls to Dorothy before. Yeah. Uh, so there wasn't really much for people, for the police to go on. Um, Sean's father, Dorothy's child, baby daddy. Yes. Um, he was the first suspect, obviously, because in Bossy's case, they're like, oh, it's the ex-husband or the husband or the ex-boyfriend or whatever. But he had an airtight alibi, and he was also in Missouri. So, uh, that's kind of... a long way to go. Yeah. He's not a slip out in the middle of the night. Not and... quite. Even in the same age. Um, also her... very difficult to stalk somebody in another state. Yeah. I mean, it can be a really complex thing of phone calls where you call someone to, to keep an eye on her. And... Yeah, but then, like, there's so many people who would have to be involved. Yeah. And then, you know, the most always going to be the weak link who, like, spills or lets somebody else know. Yeah. Or they're, you know, like, it's too complicated. It's too complicated. We would know by now. Yeah. Um, So her co-workers were questioned next multiple times because there were only so many of them and they're running out of options so they just question them multiple times for quite a while um since her job meant she next to never interacted with customers so they're like well it can't be a customer or it, it must be one of them yeah because like you you interact with so many people in your life mm. and like nobody's just gonna like randomly stalk you you would have to be someone you've had at least one interaction yeah with. But for some people, that can be, like, a teller at the bank. I'm literally thinking of one specific thing. Yeah, like, soccer case yeah. where um, the guy ended up being, like, a customer at the bank that she worked at. Which is creepy as hell. So, like... But, yeah, it literally could have been anyone, but usually... I guess they assume that, like, whoever's stopping her must be someone who's kind of close to her. But that was not the case, as far as they could tell. Um, the caller slash killer claimed during the phone call he was, um, with the phone call with Pat, Pat Riley, the editor at the Orange County Register News, um, he had told the editor that Dorothy had called him when she's at the hospital. But her coworker denied it, saying that she was with her the whole night at the hospital. There's no way that Dorothy could have called him. Why would she call him? She was trying to defend. They're like going to try to defend herself in case she ever came in contact with her with her stalker. Mm-hmm. You know. And when he said that she cheated on him, I wonder if seeing her drive her co-workers at the hospital she had bit by a spider is what she meant or what he meant 
by her cheating. So I'm trying to think of who else she would come in contact with. Oh, so you think, like, he has the delusion in his mind that Maybe. they're in a relationship. Yes. And so then he sees her in a car, in her car, mm. with another man. Mm. And maybe, um, you know, he's, like, leaning over something because um, of his arm or whatever. So maybe they're, like, sitting close together. Maybe they're talking, um, you know, really, like... So I assume this coworker is not that familiar to the stalker. I'm assuming the stalker probably knows who her close family is. Maybe her mom, her dad, her son. He recognizes those people. But... Considering she doesn't really go out with her coworker to do anything, I assume he's really he's not familiar with the people she works with. Yeah, well. and they're all like in the back. Yeah, and a lot of like head shops and sex shops and like these kinds of stores typically have like tinted windows mm-hmm. or blacked out windows. Yeah. Um, and you know at least like some measure of security from a lot of cameras and stuff like that because they tend to be. Targets yeah. for like burglaries and stuff like that because cops don't care about you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> stuff like that. So like this coworker probably like she probably saw him every day and so was very friendly with him. Um, but this guy may have only seen him come in and out of the building yeah. once in a while because maybe he worked in the front or you know whatever. So that's just, that's my what I'm thinking because there's so little on this case. That's why it's part of our whole unsolved, weird theme for this mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. And there are plenty. Of, there are tons and tons of theories online about who it could possibly be. But at the point, we still don't know, and I don't know if we'll ever know. Anyway, so the aftermath. Um, in April 1984, Jacob Scott, so Dorothy's dad, um was home in the evening. The killer or killer slash caller had made a phone call in the evening, which was outside his normal time. He's called every Wednesday around midday. That day he called in the evening and Jacob Scott picked up and that's when phone calls stopped. So for four years, every Wednesday he called and Dorothy phone picked up. And the one day her dad picked up, the call stopped. Yeah. Yeah. So when when apparently when he heard Jacob pick up, he was like, "Oh, sorry, this is the wrong number," and then hung up. How do we know it? Well, I guess the calls just stopped after that. It was on a Wednesday. Same time they always get calls, or same day they always get calls. So weird. So we just like to torment women. Yeah, that's what it seems. So, so it seems like it's a great pleasure in tormenting Dorothy and her mom through these phone calls for over four years. But this is also why part of me feels like the stalker and the killer, killer are two separate people. Because, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like, all the details of what she's wearing and all of that, it, it's clearly the stalker, and yeah. the stalker has his MO, but, like, why would you continually, like, unless you were trying to get caught, but then at the same time? Well, this is what happened. It, 
when they first reported her missing, um, they contacted the police, and the police would try to trace the calls, but he'd never stay on long enough for them to be able to trace it. Mm-hmm. So they are never able to figure out who was calling from where, um, which is, like, I don't know how long it could be on the line for people to be able to trace a call in the 80s, but I'm assuming it's probably longer than a minute, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. And, yeah, a lot of these phone calls could be, like, 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh, so August 6, 1984, a structure worker found a dog and human remains side by side. The bones were a little bit charred due to a bushfire two years prior. Oh, wait. Oh, dog bones and human bones? Mm. Side by side. They were, it wasn't a full body. It was, like, bits and pieces of what was left. That's so weird. Yeah. And um, it was confirmed to be Dorothy on the 14th by her dental records. Um, her cause of death was unknown, and her watch stopped at 12.30 a.m. on May 29th, about an hour after she was last seen. Oh. Yeah. So, she was probably dead since then. Yeah. And this guy was calling her four years saying, I've got her. Assuming it's the same person? Yeah. Well, you're saying, I got her or I've killed her. Yeah. See, this is why, like, part of me feels like, and maybe you already have the theory on this mm-hmm. somewhere, but, like, my... I want to, like, it feels like the stalker wants to keep the case open. Yeah. Because he wants he wants his, you know, um, prized possession or whatever. Yeah. His prized object back. Okay. I see what you're saying. So That's why you think they're separate people. Yeah. So, so even though he would say he wanted to kill her, didn't actually want. To end her, you just like the game. Well, he, I think he was also hoping that she was alive. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, they hadn't found her body, so he's calling saying, "I've got her, I've got her." Like yeah. keep looking for her, mm-hmm. kind of a thing. But he still doesn't want it to be traced back to him because he's a creepy stalker who still probably only views her as an object that's been taken away from him. Mm-hmm. Um. But, like, I don't know. And so this whole, like, she cheated thing could be he's now viewing the killer as, like, an infidelity. So he's like, some other man took her from me. Mm -hmm. She cheated on me. But, and, like, he's saying, like, oh, like, she denied it and I killed her. That could be a fantasy in his head because, you know, it's, you know, she's not cheating, she's being kidnapped. Yeah. By a murderer, clearly. So, maybe by chasing these phone calls, they were looking in the wrong places. I know I read someplace where, like, they thought since most of their quote unquote leads, so they really had no lead at all um, for a suspect, they thought maybe someone. Because she had said, she told her mom that she recognized the voice but couldn't place the name. So they think that maybe when her dad still owned one of the shops, that it might have been someone who would come in there or might have worked for him, maybe. They don't know. that Someone else she could have come in contact with that she doesn't interact with on, on a regular basis but would kind of still remember their voice, maybe. Um... Obviously, they didn't follow through, but... It could literally be someone that they passed on the street every day. It could. Like, just on a walk. Because you know how, like, 
when you're in a routine, and she obviously very clearly had a routine, yeah. um, you end up seeing the same people on the subway and the same people on the bus mm-hmm. and and the same people in the, the donut shop you visit mm-hmm. once a week, every day on the same day or whatever. So, like, it could be a cashier at a place you stop at. It could be someone you kind of vaguely remember maybe they asked for directions once and now yeah. you see them kind of regularly um so you would like kind of remember their voice but yeah. not enough to like pin it to like, yeah to be like yeah no it's like i've heard it somewhere but like like i didn't catch their name mm-hmm. we only talked for like two seconds um you know like i don't know what their voice would sound like saying these words, words. yeah um and like stuff like that, where you like see someone on a regular basis and you smile and wave, that can give someone who wants to believe they have a relationship with someone the you know kind of ammunition to yeah. be like, oh yeah, like we do have a relationship. Look, like she smiled at me, and she smiles at me every day. I want to get to the top part, right? <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah, and things you said about um two different serial posts because I. Obviously, not obviously, but I'm gonna say that I'm not a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> Please believe me. But like, if I had an ob- obsession, a person, I don't think I would. If my eventual intention was to kill them or for us to go to get, to eventually end our lives together, I don't think I would have killed that person so soon. I feel like it would have gone on. I would have had them longer. Like, yeah. to me, his obsession with her, the caller's obsession with her, oh, I love you, oh, I want to kill you, oh, I love you, I want to kill you, I, and then, like, after she disappears, I've got her, I've killed her, I got her, I've killed her. Like, I feel like if he actually had killed her, he wouldn't have kept calling for that long. Yeah, because he would have had the the memory of the killing to to relive. Whereas, like, if he hadn't gotten that kind of final release or whatever, yeah. he would have to kind of go back to old habits. Yeah. The phone calls. So, that's... And, like, the mother would kind of, like, so, like, I know that people mistake me and my mother on the phone mm. a lot. So maybe even calling her mother, maybe she sounded like her, um, very similar. Mm. And that's why as soon as the dad appeared on the phone, yeah. he was out. Yeah. Because it, it, it broke his fantasy. Yeah. Imagine being going for four years and... I guess what's a caller ID back then? No, caller ID was, like, a 90... 90- yeah, it was. Because it was, like, it was still, so when still, I was a kid, like, very yeah. new, and, like, but it was, like, kind of, like, what by the time it was 10, it was widespread enough that, yeah. like, you knew not to prank call people because they are calling. <laughs> yeah, so, like, it, because, like, everyone was reading us, like, why didn't she just not pick up the phone? Because he calls around the same time every week. So, going on for four years, you think, like, she's not picking up the phone, but, like, it could literally be anyone. Have you never had, like, not had caller ID on your like, cell phone? I didn't have a cell phone as early as you did. Um, there was, like, a while when I 
like had switched plans. Yeah. And I couldn't I couldn't afford caller ID anymore. Yeah. And I was gone and I like it was the most <laughs> stressful time of my life because everything showed up as unknown number. Yeah. Even if that person's number was in my phone. Yeah. Because I didn't have caller ID. And I would just be stressed out all the time. And I was like, oh, my God, I thought cell phones just came with caller ID. And yeah. I'm so upset. No, I didn't, like, my, even when I first got a cell phone, like, I don't think I got really calling It's mostly just, like, your five cents per text sort of thing. That's, like, all I really used my cell phone for in, like, high school. But, yeah, I just realized that it could be anyone. She can't see who the number is. Like, it could be the one time that her banker called her, her or her cousin called her, her friend called her. And I'm sure she tried. Yeah. To you know, like I'm sure she tried to screen her calls with the the answering machine and stuff like that. I'm sure she, you know, but like you do miss important calls. Like yeah. And like, um, when it's every single day, like it's disrupting your entire life. Yeah, it's it's really sad. Did did it say was there any invest investigation into the calls before she went missing? No, because the only person who, who knew at the time was her mother. Oh. So for about the first few months, she was just telling her mom about them. And, like, she's kind of handling it on her own. You know, like, I'm going to handle this. I'm going to arm, I might arm myself. I'm going to learn how to defend myself in case this person actually tried to come face to face with me, but she wasn't in touch with the authorities or telling any people who were close to her about it other than her mom. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that's not going to police the death. Because they once they, once they yeah. did know with the parents, yeah, then they when they still, yeah, couldn't do anything. And like I don't. And that was years later when technology mm-hmm. had started to get a little tiny bit better. Yeah. So it's unfortunate, and so we'll never really know what happened to her, how she died, that she died, who did it, you know, who the caller was. It's so sad. Yeah. Poor kid. I about him. Oh my goodness! Did you did it say at all what happened? I guess we I assume his grandparents probably just his grandparents probably took care of him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they were already doing it kind of part time, I would imagine they would just be after something like that. They would want something like someone close to yeah. their kid as well, because they would both need like all of them would need support after yeah. that. Yeah. Well, well, that's an entire family. It's like, really. Yeah. One person with one person, or two people's, one person's obsession, obsession, and the other person's strong desire to need to kidnap and kill someone. Did they ever look into, um, like, other disciplines? Like, were there other disciplines around the Not that... We know of there's very little on this case because I feel like I feel like there's not that much on it because it was just so random. A lot of things happened through word of mouth. Well, my daughter said this person had been calling for this amount of time. Mm-hmm. Her coworker said this. Like there wasn't a lot of evidence to go off of, other than they found they found her car ditched in an, in an alleyway ten miles away from the hospital. They eventually found her bones like four years later. Like. There's no one else making those kind of calls in the area that they knew of, so, you know. Because I wonder if maybe 
this wasn't the first attack, if mm. it is like a two-person kind of deal, yeah. and maybe they were missing a serial killer that whole time. That's going to be my, my thing for, like, ever now. It's like, maybe it was a serial killer the whole time. Well, that's what I was thinking about, because, you know, like, sometimes when, like, serial killers, they'll start off with something small that no one will think is connected to them, and so they eventually, they, like, they kind of have, like, an M.O. Yeah. Like. And her bones were found next to dog bones, yeah. you said. Yeah. Which, you know, could be maybe, like, the, like, first, you know, kind of victim. Yeah. Like, successful victim mm-hmm. that he had. And, um, you know, if his targets before were sex workers, runaways, um, pretty much any vulnerable population. Yeah. Um, like, like there could have been attacks and assaults and, like, attempted Mm -hmm. murders and maybe even successful ones that the police don't even know about. Yeah, because there's no connect, like, there's no pattern to connect them to each other. Yeah, or like they're they don't file a missing persons report because they assume it's a runaway. Yeah, or they'll they'll not look into it, or um, you know, they'll assume that an attack on a sex worker was a bad day or whatever. That was the air quotes, by the way. Yeah, just in case you're wondering. Um, Can you use some context on. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, is that is that your? That is mine. That is mine. Now it's time for yours. You ready? Get yeah. hype. Um, mine's a bit of a long one, um, but it's kind of lesser known. Um, a friend of mine actually told me about this case. Uh, she probably doesn't want me to use her real name on um, a public podcast. Yeah. Um, but she goes by Clo online sometimes. Hi, Clo. <laughs> um, so, or she did at one point. We haven't talked in like a while. <laughs> But I'm finally doing the case, so this case is called the Dyatlov Pass Incident. So this is a bit of an obscure case here um, in, like, North America, but in Eastern Europe and kind of the former USSR, um, it's like like an urban legend. Like, not an urban legend. It really happens. Yeah. <laughs> what to say, Emily? <laughs> it's one of those, like, like, stories that gets told over and over and over again. Like, it's kind of an urban legend, but it, it actually happened. Yeah. So, um, it's it's very popular in, like, Russia and, and other kind of um, Eastern European countries. Um, so, I guess I'll just get into it. Um, on January 28th, 1959, I, a group of 10 skiers um, slash tourists are called, but it's because they're on, like, ski tours or, oh. like, hiking. They're ski hiking tours. It, like, slash camping. It's very complicated, but apparently it's this big whole thing in Russia on their mountains. Well, I mean, they've got mountain pits, though. Yes. So. Lots of snow. Yeah. Um, so they began an expedition to explore the Ortorton Mountain in the northern part of the Ural Mountain Range, um, which is a mountain range in western um, that cuts across western uh, Russia. Okay. I'm kind of like this way, north-south. Um, most of the team were students or graduates from the Ural Polytechnic Institute, um, which is now called the Yeltsin Ural State Technical University, 
Okay. Um, so, um, the reason that, that this whole case is called Dyatlov's House is because of Igor Dyatlov. Um, he was the leader of the expedition and was the most experienced skier, hiker, camper person mm. um, of the group. He was only 23 and, wow. yeah, like younger than us. Yeah. And I consider myself a baby still. <laughs> I'm a tiny infant, um, still trying to figure out this world. Um, and he was an experienced hiker, skier, camper, the whole thing, <laughs> um, and a student of the faculty of radio engineering at the Andrews. So fairly smart dude. Yes, he was a very, very smart dude. He had um, kind of designed a stove that they ended up using on the trip, um, this kind of like camping stove. Um, if you're hearing weird noises right now, it's my cat. I'm sorry. So, I'm going to try and keep the, um, this as short as possible, but I'm going to give you a little bit about the rest of the group, and the group it involves nine more people, so kind of bear with me. Okay. The information is very interesting, though. Um, so, there was Georgi Krivon... Oh, my God. Krivon, you can do it. Krivon Nishchenko. Um, who was 23, um, he, but the group called him Yuri, even though there was another Yuri in the group. Why are they doing Because Russians love Yuris. <laughs> Which is funny to me, because when I think of Yuri... You I think, think of, <laughs> like, manga, like, like lesbian porn? <laughs> yeah. I'm not well-versed in lesbian porn <laughs> at all. Definitely. Anyway, um... Yuri was a recent graduate and had begun work as an engineer. He was known as a joker, and he um, often played his mandolin. Uh, mandolins are apparently a very popular instrument in the 50s in Russia. Um, he was a good friend of Dyatlov's, which is why he was in the group. Uh, there was Rustam, or he also went by Rustik as Slobodin. Um, he was also 23 and a recent graduate of the university. Um, like, he had graduated, like, um, a bunch of them had graduated, like, that year or yeah. the year before. Um, <clears throat> he was also an experienced hiker and a mandolin player. Uh, there was Nikolai Zubov-Rignon. Um, yeah. he had, like, far... Like, his grandfather was a French immigrant, oh. which is why he had um, a French last name, which I, I, don't, I don't speak French well either. Let's say I'm, like, I'm Canadian, where our second language <laughs> should be French, uh, but, um... <laughs> and even though I had, like, a good solid five years of French in school, I can still only say, like... But it was, like, basic French. It was, like, bonjour, je m'appelle Jasmine, A2... Je parle en français. <laughs> Est-ce que je à toilette? Like, <laughs> um, anyway, so he was 23, a recent grad and engineer. Um, he was also sometimes called Kolya, which is a much more Russian name. Yeah. Uh, he he also promised his mother that this would be his last hiking trip. You know. Shit's going to get so, down. I think that's really sad, because you're going to find out what happens next, and it's not so nice. Um, there was 
Zinaida or Zina, uh, as she went by, uh, Komo Gorova. Uh, she was 22 and also a radio engineering student um, with the Outlaw. Uh, there's a story that, like, so this is kind of a story about her hardiness. Okay. Um, there was a story that she got bitten by a viper on a previous expedition, but um, she refused to let anyone, like, help her um, or, like, even lighten her own load. Like, she wouldn't give any of her stuff to other people because she didn't want to burden them. Also, all these babies. Not that we're old or anything. We're both, like, starting to turn 25 in a few months. But, like, still, babies. Right? Like, when I was, like, a kid, I used to think, like, 25 was so old. I was like, that's ancient. Like, what do you need to do after 25? Like, why even exist? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God, I've done literally nothing. I know nothing about the world. I'm so innocent and young. I remember I used to think, where it's like, 20-year-old, this person is this. I'm like, oh, my God, they're so young. Um, There was also uh, Lyudmila or Lyuda uh, Dubinina, uh, who was 20 and an engineering and economics student. She also once got shot accidentally on an expedition. Someone was being um, careless with their like hunting rifle or something. Um, and but like she didn't complain the entire way and only expressed like that she was sorry that um, the group had to transport her back instead of continuing on with the expedition. So. Like, this, this is the kind of, like, people that they were. Like, they were Pretty not just experienced. People. They were, like, like even if things go south, like, we're going to, like, carry on through anyways. Yeah. Or, like, I'm not going to burden anybody else or whatever. Um, there was also Yuri Doroshenko, who was 21. Um, and a radio engineering student. <laughs> Uh, he was known for once running at a bear with a geologist hammer. So not like a like a huge like like blacksmithing hammer, yeah. like a tiny little geologist hammer for like clearing away debris from from gems and stuff. Yeah, was there anything that I've learned from the internet? Like Russians and bears, like they kind of like a champ. Well, this guy did. So like he was on a camping trip. Um. So yeah, like they all they were part of like a a camping club, so this yeah. was not their first expedition out. Um, so yeah, he he ran out of bear with a with a tiny geologist hammer, and well, like he lived to tell the tale. Yeah, clearly, so, um, the bear was probably like fuck. He and Zena apparently also used to date, yeah. but they were broken up um, at the time. And apparently, at the beginning, it had caused some friction in the group, but then. Um, Someone like took Zena aside and was like, "You got to think about the good of the group." And then she was like, "You're right." And so then they were like, "We're gonna be friends for this expedition." Well, at least worked out for them, maybe. Or, um. There was also Alexander Kolevatov. He was 24. He's us. Yes, he's us, and a physics student. Um. He was kind of known for smoking a vintage pipe, um, even though the rest of the group had, 
chocolate smoking for the trip. So they were all like cheesed at him. Yeah. And he was like, I'm just going to pop on my yeah. pipe. And they were like, we quit. <laughs> you were supposed to quit with us. And yeah. you're just going to just puff it in our face. That must have when every everyone, it's not just one person, it's like everyone made the decision that we're we're gonna we're gonna quit. And then the one person was like Just kidding, my pipe is more important <laughs> than my commitment to you. Yeah. Um there was uh also a man named Semyon uh Zolotora. I'm saying that wrong because I also wrote it down super messy. <laughs> so I can't tell what all of the letters are. Um it's like Zolotaryov. I don't know. Um, but I'm going to call him Sasha because that's why he went by in the group and mm. it was on a bunch of his documents apparently. Um, he wasn't originally part of the group, but he asked to join. Um, he was 38. Um, wow. Ex-military with four awards, four military awards, and this is like Russian military. Yeah, which is hard for him. Um, and working, um, but he was now working as a tourist or ski instructor, um, which it sounds like, like a cushy thing, but this is like going up and down these mountains all the time. Yeah, this is, um, pretty hardcore. So he joined, he asked to join because he was working on getting, um, like a higher certification level or or degree thing on his like ski touristy thing. Yeah. Um, so he asked to join the group, um, but he was, you know, like, according to, like, the group's journals and stuff, he was still a pretty, like, nice guy, um, kind of mysterious. There's um, only so much that's known about him, and I'll kind of get into some of that later. Um, also, um, in the group was Yuri Yudin, who was also with the group, Um Yudin had major health issues like rheumatism and sciatica, and likely due to the weather because there was a major snowstorm coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to turn back partway through and return to one of the villages that they passed through. Yeah. Um, and didn't continue on. Um, and he would later be the only member of that group to return. That's what I, you said that, like, one guy turned around, I'm like, he's the one who's going to make it. So, um, I'm not going to get into too many details about the group's trip, um, because there is so much information, um, but you can find a ton about the group's uh, trip up the pass and all of the group's backstory, um, because they kept detailed journals, because they were also working on these, like, climbing degree, I don't, I have... I don't really understand it. Apparently, it's very common practice in Russia to get these, like, climbing certificates. Yeah. Um, not climbing, but, like, skiing, touring. Mountaineering. Is that what it's called? Mountaineering? I guess so. I think it is. Um, oh. Like, these mountaineering um, certificates. Um, I'm not totally sure why, but apparently it's really commonplace, even until present day. Um, that is from, like, Wikipedia. So, yeah. like... Take it with a... Grain of salt? Yeah. Two grains of salt? I don't so, know. like, I didn't hear it from an actual Russian, so, like, <laughs> how many Russians do you know? I feel like I know one, but I don't think we talk anymore, so it oh. doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yep. <laughs> um, but, so there's a website called 
com, and you can find all of their journals. Um, they're translated, but you can see the scanned pages if you're fluent in Russian mm-hmm. and Cyrillic, because everything's in Cyrillic. Um, and so, like, but I'm not going to get too much into it because I didn't want to make this a Manson episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> two hours. <laughs> so, on February 2nd, um, so they set out on January 28th, so on February 2nd, yeah. they set up camp on the way to Ortorton uh, Mountain, which is um, apparently supposed to translate to don't go this way in the indigenous Nancy language. Um, so these are the people indigenous to this area mm-hmm. in Russia. Because interesting fact, there are indigenous people to Europe that have also been wiped out. Through, um, like Anglo-Saxon and other forms of, of colonization and stuff like that. White people just doing the most. Doing the most. Um, so, uh, so yeah, they were on their way to that mountain. Um, over by going through another mountain called Kolatsiako. Uh, um, I'm probably saying that wrong, but whatever. Just assume that whenever Mari says a really hard Russian name that we're not held responsible for seeing this 100% correctly. They're trying. <laughs> They're um, trying so hard. And, and I'm glad I'll be the one to do it. And um, I'm trying to do it, but if I if I do get it anywhere near correct, it's probably going to sound slightly Polish because all of my like Slavic languages that I know is Polish. How's it Polish for anyone? Not well. Anyways, this Kolats Tiako Mountain apparently also means in the fancy language Mountain of the Dead. Okay, hold up there. So, so far, (laughs) you've had two warning messages being like, yo, don't stop. But, (laughs) But it turns out. What the Nancy people mean by Mountain of the Dead is that there's no food around there. Um, in the sense that Even um, there's not a lot of like hunting game, um, and there's not a lot of the type of food you would like gather as well. So um, for the people in that area, it's just like, like it's a useless here. mountain, basically, is what it boils down to. It's like useless mountain, you'll die because there's no food. <laughs> Uh, it's still pretty foreboding, though, for me anyway, but I'm also a very paranoid, not a very paranoid, but I'm a mean, slightly paranoid person. I'm sure these are loose translations, but yes. it doesn't even mean, like, Mountain of the Dead. Like, I'm sure they have a different word for, like, dead or deaf or whatever. Because but, English sucks. Um, <laughs> we love to kind of, like, make indigenous people all spooky and scary and ominous and whatever when, like, they're like, nah, we just live here. <laughs> no, we just meant that, like... Sometimes it gets a little bit stinky here, but if you want to call this, you know, lung crusher, it's fine, I guess. <laughs> but, like, yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, um, this whole, like, Mountain of the Dead thing is really played up in a lot of the, like, um, like, like online stuff mm. um, about this, but it, it's probably not as ominous and foreboding as it seems. Um, well, I mean... What you're talking about, though, I feel like it is. I mean, <laughs> in hindsight, true. <laughs> um, 
So Dyatlov chose an odd place to set up camp. Um, so kind of in an open space on the mountain, kind of like in the middle, uh, like nowhere near the tree line, which um, the, the mountain is kind of, that pass is known to be very like windy, have these like sub-zero gusts of wind, yeah. and typically a lot of campers um, will pitch their tent closer to the tree line to kind of block as much of the wind as possible. Yeah, I was going to say, don't they want to be close to the Um, But that might have... Um, so I also listened to a podcast on this called... Um, like, there's two episodes that they do on Astonishing Legends um, that's pretty well-researched. Um, more well-researched than mine, which was like three websites and that podcast. Hey, you, just, <laughs> you still did the darn thing. I did it. I've, I've used more than one website. It was in Wikipedia. So. <laughs> Wikipedia. I only used Wikipedia to find out about the mountains because I was like, I feel like I should know where I'm talking about. Yeah, that's, that's kind Instead of Instead of like a vague, like, it's in Russia. Um, that's me though. If someone was like, where's it in California? I'd be like, I don't know. California, it's a place in, in the West. Maybe. Um, but yeah, so... Um, it might also have to do with, um, them going off track because they were a little west of their original planned route. Uh, so Yudin, who was, like, interviewed later, mm. said that, uh, he probably, because they were off course, he didn't, uh, Dyatlov didn't want to, um, go back towards the trees, um, in order to... Um, like make camp because yeah. they'd already lost so much ground. So um, he just basically set up camp where they were and was like, "Well, correct course in the morning." They want to backtrack more than they. Yeah, because they they were already gonna be behind schedule. Basically. Yeah. But it might also have to do with the conditions they needed to complete for the skiing, touring, mountaineering certification. Um, that Sasha and I think a few of the others were also trying to get. Um, so that's a possibility as well because they need to show that they can um, set up camp on kind of like one of those open spaces mm. um, in like a place like that. So um, there, there is an explanation for that sort of So basically that's, that's where everything is found. Okay. Um, on February 20th, the team was reported missing by Yuri Yudin um, when he returned from his own travels. So basically, after he went back to the village, he yep. was like, since I'm not going on this trip, I'm just going to go um, visit some relatives and some friends and whatever. Just hang out and, for a while. Yeah. And then I'll go meet them, meet back with them later. So he returns um, on the 20th, and they were supposed to return on the 12th. And okay. they weren't there. And so he was like, okay, that's eight days. Yeah, that's, that's a long time. That's, that's more not, than a week. Yeah, that's not, that's an unusually long time to be behind schedule. So, like, it might have been a, a day or two because of, you know, the backtracking or whatever. Um, that was considered normal, especially when you have limited communication. It's, it's normal. This was the 50s, right? Yes, 59. Yeah, okay. At the beginning of 59. So, um, like, yeah, there's, like, you know, walkie-talkies aren't even, like, common at this point. So, 
there was no way to really communicate with anyone off the mountain or any anywhere on the mountain once you're there. Um, I do it now. Yeah, like satellite phones, not a thing. I mean, satellites weren't even a thing at this point. Oh, no. <laughs> um, actually, I think Sputnik had just gone into orbit at this point. Like, they were literally just starting the first The only reason I know that is because it's like the Iron Giant because it takes place like the 50s and 60s. They're like, Sputnik! That's like the only reason I'm like, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> uh, I tried to look up some context yeah. so that I didn't sound uneducated. <laughs> me. Me all the time. <laughs> um, I was like, I want to sound like I know things, um, but I don't. <laughs> so... Like, keep that in mind when you're listening to me say things. It's like I'm literally pulling it from the internet. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it from theatlepass.com. Is that a website for the actual? I don't know who put the website or together. Or someone put together a website. Um, but somebody put it together and it had all of the documents. Um, like, I even saw autopsy reports. Um, and so I looked at photos of dead bodies. That's always um, fun, seeing dead bodies. It was it was interesting. Okay, I'll get to it. It's only quite small. Yes. Um, <laughs> I actually have never smelt like a like a dead body. Like all dead bodies that I've come across have been embalmed in you know like a funeral process. Oh no! Like I this is a little off topic, but like in college we had to go to like oh yeah had to do, draw uh the bobby the dead bodies dead <laughs> maybe one of those things with bobby but um dead bodies at well. Like, because you know how health students, they have to, they practice, like, health stuff mm. on bodies, or people, or people that donate their relatives. Anyway, point is, I couldn't get the smell of dead people off my body for, like, a week. Like, all I smelled was dead people for a whole week. It was, like, the, hemal- the, the formaldehyde and all that. The, 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 it was, it was, it was rough. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I didn't smell that, basically. Yeah, it's not a pleasant smell. Um, photos are not, you know, scratch and sniff. Fortunately, I remember those things. Um, so yeah, he Yuri Yudin um kind of returned, and they weren't there. Um, a lot of the families started to get really frustrated because they were, you know, talking to authorities at that point. They were like, they're supposed to be back on the twelfth. Um, but after a few days, the authorities were like, mm, yeah, just probably stuck in a storm. They're fine. Um, because, yeah, as I mentioned before, there was a snowstorm yeah. that was happening around the same time, so they were like, first they were like, no, um, but by the 20th, when Yuri returned and was like, no, this is, like, really odd, yeah. um, they, the families were like, okay, you have to do something. So the head of the military department of, um, the Ural Polytechnic Institute, um, started a search and rescue operation on the 21st. This is nine days after, right? Yes. I'm laughing, right? <laughs> um, nine days after they were supposed to uh, yes. return. Yes. Um, but at this point, this was three weeks after um, there they actually like from where the voyage voyage started. From where um when they actually went in. Uh, oh oh um okay. so like um. The, the whole event happened yeah. um, on the 2nd, as far as we can tell with their, the investigator's timeline. Okay. 
um, using like the journals and stuff like that because they had dates and stuff mm -hmm. so they could tell up to when the, the journal entries and um, and they also had a lot of photos um, so if you go to that website they actually have like all of the photos as well so you can see photos of them on their trip up and you can see, see them be all the fun and, mm -hmm. and whatever there's like photos of them playing around there's photos of the tent um, and there's also like a search and rescue photo there as well so on February 26th their tent is found okay. um, from the search and rescue operation so it took five days from when they started to find the tent um, there's snow on the tent but eventually it's ruled that it's not from an avalanche um, and that it was from uh, that it was snow that was blown onto the tent from the wind um, so they rule out avalanche, yeah, kind of um, at the start. Um, but the most interesting thing was that the sides of the tent were slashed, and forensics actually showed that it was slashed from the inside. Why is this not such a movie that happened? Um, because there is a movie that's loosely based off of it called Devil's Path that came out in 2013. Okay. Um. I'm sure there are other renditions. That was the only one that popped up um, when I was doing research. Mm -hmm. um, but I wasn't really, like, looking. Yeah, for Fox. Yeah, because uh, they're not factually accurate at all. Um, but um, actually what was interesting when I was doing research was that it said that the um, head of the, the search and rescue um, had called a woman in to, like, help him hem or repair or something, one of his uniforms, um, like, in the tent or whatever. Yeah. And she, like, goes in. While she's in there, she just, like, she looks at the tent, she goes, that was flash from the inside. And so he's like, what? And so he calls in a forensic expert, and they're like, yeah, it was. <laughs> um, so that's what happens when, you know, like, so many things could be solved earlier if they just, like, let women, like, do the investigation. Anyways, that's <laughs> not the point. Um, so, yeah, the tents were slashed from the inside. Um, most of their footwear was piled in the beside the entrance to the tents. And everything else seemed to be in its proper place. It was literally just the slashes in the tent and the fact that they didn't even, like, their footwear was all there, but they yeah. weren't. Um, so, like, at this point, they haven't found any of the scares yet. So, the next day, on February 27th, they find the first two bodies of Yuri Doroshenko and Yuri Krivonashenko. So, both bodies um, had been uncovered from the deep snow, so that's why they weren't found at first. They yeah. were un um, in the three weeks that, since the tent was originally put up, uh, a lot of snow had come down. Um, and they were, um, they were only kind of wearing their underclothing, so kind of like undershirts and stuff like that, and not the kind of clothing you would expect to find on people. In a cold mountain. <laughs> yeah. Um, and remember, these are experienced skiers. They know the temperatures they're dealing with. It was like minus 30 Fahrenheit or something, or was it minus 30 Celsius? Might Either be way, Celsius. that's still cold. Yeah. It would, I'm going to say Celsius is because I feel like Fahrenheit is too cold. Uh, yeah. But 
yeah, it was like minus 30 degrees, um, that kind of temperature, like kind of, if you're out there for too long, you'll get frostbite. It was very much below the freezing mark. Freezing mark. Yeah, significantly. Um, and they were barefoot, so they, they didn't have their shoes, um, which I guess yes. is to be expected when all of their boots were still in the tent. Um, there was evidence of a fire nearby and broken branches in the tree <gasps> above them. I have heard this. Like someone had tried to climb up. They were ruled to have died from hypothermia. Well, kind of makes sense. They're half naked. Yeah. Um, I think they also had some, like, bruising and stuff, but they're, like, that was when I was reading, like, the official, like, the translations yeah. of the official autopsy reports, um, but it wasn't in any of the other sources I was reading, mm-hmm. so I didn't really include it, because, um, one, I was trying to keep things short, um, and two, I don't really understand all of the medical jargon. Yeah. So I didn't want to be like, there was bruising, and it was like, no, that meant something else. Yeah. Because um, it just shows, like, circles of the body parts, and then, like, like then there's notes, and I'm like, I don't know what any of this means. Yeah. I only took biology till 12th grade. That's one more year than I did, so I mean. <laughs> um, so next, they found Diablo. Um, they found him on the same day. He was wearing a vest, which was probably taken off of Kravonishenko's body. And he was also wearing no shoes, but was wearing mismatching socks. Um, So kind of either one of those, he was wearing two on one foot, and he decided to, you know, cover the other foot with the other sock. Um, Or somebody gave him a sock where he took it off one of the bodies. Um, he was also ruled to have died from hypothermia. Uh, Zena was next to be found and was wearing more clothing than everyone else so far, um, and possibly having taken some of the clothes off the other bodies, um, but she also died from hypothermia. Um, Rustum wasn't found for, um, a little while next, um, not till March 5th. Um, he had a fracture to the skull, but ultimately he died from heart disease. Um, so, two months go back. Yeah. Um, there are still four missing tourist hiker people. Um, so on May 5th, the snow had begun to melt enough that um, an indigenous Monty man um, saw kind of bits of body sticking out of the snow. Um, so investigate, the investigators were called. Um, the bodies were in a gully in a kind of den that the group had made. So I guess they had, like, put this, made this snow into a kind of, like, hole for them to sit in. And yeah. they put, like, sticks and wood and logs down um, on the bottom so they weren't sitting on the snow itself. Yeah. And they had done, like, a bunch of experience stuff. So, like, once again, they were doing everything they could to survive at this point. Um, so, uh, Leuda's clothing was found to have radiation present on them, and she was missing her tongue. She also had broken ribs, 
Um, Nikolai had a fractured skull as well. Um, Alexander Zoloteryov uh, had crushed ribs. Um, I think it was Sasha, Alexander, and Leuda. Their injuries were apparently um, from an impact as great as a car crash. Okay. So they're not just like crushed bones. They're like severely crushed. It's yeah. not just like a, like they got hit by one of the other skiers, like, they got, like, bumped into or whatever. Yeah. They were, like, rammed. Almost, like, a couple of tons. Um, of pressure. Yeah. At, like, at least. So, like, they still don't know what happened. Um, and Sasha was actually missing his eyeball. So, Leuda's tongue Tom. was missing, and Sasha's eyeballs are missing. And they, these three out of the four of the, the bodies they found had the um had crushing injuries. Um and all of their clothes were also found to be radioactive. So um there was like radiation on the clothes. Mm. So the theory. There are a ton of theories. Um some of them are like really outlandish and some of them are really mundane. Um, they include escaped prisoners of Gulag prisons, or they suggest that the skiers were mistaken for escaped prisoners from Gulag prisons, and that, um, that one of the, the, the police teams, or whatever they're called, um, were doing a sweep, and they thought they were prisoners, and took them out, or whatever. The police, for, or, like, the authorities who were investigating it, which all seemed to be from the university, which was very confusing to me. They didn't have, like, a national support behind them. Interesting. Um, but I don't know how, like, what these jurisdictions are. And then I didn't look too much into the school, which probably would give some backstory and some information. But um, I didn't want to get too lost in all this information. But those authorities blamed... Um, the indigenous Mazi people for a while, um, and they were all like, it was their sacred ground, and blah, 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 but they were like, no, it's not our sacred ground, we pray at home. Yeah. We, you know, like, we don't... We told y'all not to go up there. <laughs> um, and like, it's not even our hunting ground, yeah. because there's nothing to hunt up there, yeah. blah, 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 um, and then they were like a peaceful people anyways, so it, it didn't make sense at all. Um, and then there was talk of mushrooms. Like psychedelic mushrooms, because um, either they took it and you know had a bad trip and that's why they scattered from the tent. Yeah. Um, or they say like, and this was one of the like, oh, the monkey people, or like there was like a group of people, so like another t- indigenous people. Yeah. Um, it was either the monkey or somebody else. They took the mushrooms and killed them for being on their land. But once again, that doesn't make any sense with the Monty people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, with the geography and stuff like that, it just doesn't hold up. But there are a few compelling, or at least um, more interesting and weird theories that have been suggested. So, Because okay. I know 
what I heard was really mundane, where they're like, it's just a bear. It was a bear. Um, okay. Is that one of them? Sort of. It's more interesting than that. Though. Okay, so that's what I heard. I was like, yeah, it might just have been a bear. Um, so one theory is that Sasha, Kulevatov, and Krivonashenko were secret undercover KGB agents trying to uncover a cell of CIA agents um, who were in the mountains and were killed by those agents. So this theory has some plausibility plausibility to it because at the time the KGB were recruiting undercover agents to do stuff like plant radioactive samples um, and stuff like that and get information um, that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and Sasha once again had this secret military past um, with um, these four awards, super hardcore guy he also had these tattoos and one of them um, there's a series of letters that don't seem to really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, they try to translate it in multiple languages, and nothing really comes through. So they're like, we don't know what this is. Um, but it, I don't know. It could just be like the initials of all his family members, it or like of uh, his like cr- like not crew. What are they called? Um, platoon or whatever you know, group he was in, in the military. It could literally be anything. Um, But also, Krivonashenko worked at a power plant, um, at a nuclear plant that had a massive nuclear disaster in 1957, and um, he was part of the, like, cleanup crew who, like, helped clean up that situation. Yeah. So... Um, it was strange that he had ties to nuclear, um, and apparently the nuclear radiation was a similar radiation to what was at that site. Yeah. But this was two years prior. I would say it was like two years. And he, like, Krivonashenko was smart enough to know not to keep radiated clothes for two years. Um, so it doesn't make sense. Um, so that's like a weird connection. So that's one possibility. There are other theories about UFOs um, or secret Soviet launches. So I kind of mush these two together because, once again, I'm just trying to um, give, like, a brief overview because there's so much information available and so many theories and blog posts and all these things you can can read. Um, So definitely look this up on your own um, if you want to, like, decide for yourself. Um, what theory seems most plausible. Um, but the reason that there's like UFOs or secret Soviet launches that like that, that, that might hold some plausibility is because a group of geologists um, 70 kilometers away from the mountains saw some glowing and pulsating orbs flying in the direction of Kolapsiakov on the evening of the 1st, which was the day before all of these events supposedly happened. Some suggest the seeing was staged because of conflicting testimonies from witnesses and the rescue team, and so some people have suggested that the bodies and tent were moved from a different location by the Soviet yeah. army um, because um, they accidentally stumbled on some secret trials or facilities um, that were that they weren't supposed to see and so that they were 
killed oh, somewhere else and moved to kind of keep those uh, secrets a secret. Um, which actually could, so with the Soviets, like with the KGB, that could like definitely be a thing mm-hmm. that could happen. Um, and especially because like the case was like once they ruled everyone had died of hypothermia, despite these other weird things that had happened to them, they closed the case and that was it. Yeah. They were like, no, don't talk about it. It's, it's done. done. Um, so there's like speculation that it's a cover-up and a government conspiracy. But then there are these like orbs that were flying around, so it could be UFOs. Um, but that could also lead to like weird, maybe weapons or spacecraft um, that the Soviet um, Union had developed in secrecy. Um, another theory uses a scientific phenomenon called infrasound. One researcher said that the mountain was the perfect shape to create dangerous wind vortexes or vortices, if you want to be grammatically correct. <laughs> but vortexes sound cooler. It sounds better. So I'm <laughs> using it because I like the letter X. <laughs> Sue me. Um... They could also produce, so they could produce these, like, these wind vortexes that are, like, super violent and, like, basically tornadoes. Mm. Um, but they could also produce a, a sound so low, so, like, uh, not, like, um, ultrasound, which is super high pitch, but infrasound, which is super low pitch. So low that it can't be perceived by the human ear, but can still cause bodily side effects. Um, such as loss of sleep, shortness of breath, and extreme dread. So this researcher suggests that um, the infrasound caused the extreme dread, so they yeah. just scattered from the tent, thinking like because their anxiety was telling them there is danger here. Um, so they scattered, um, you know, wearing whatever they were wearing, and got the hell out. yeah, got the hell out. Um, and then once they were far enough away. The effects faded, and they had to get back. Um, so a lot of the bodies, the positions that the bodies were found, it looked like um, the first five that they found were on their way back mm-hmm. to the campsite. Um, so that so they scattered from the tent, and then they were coming back when they died. Um, so they're running away from something. I've seen it, like, presumably. Yeah. So... The most interesting theory is kind of like a morph of um, your, the bear the theory. Bear, yeah. The theory is that it's the Yeti. Oh. Um, or, as the indigenous people of the area call it, the Manx. Um, so, there's a whole Discovery documentary, um, but it turns out that's one of those like hoaxy, kind yeah. of like the mermaid hoax doc- mockumentary type thing. Um, if, whether or not it's a mockumentary or not, at the end, it's like, there's no real evidence that's put forth. Um, but, um, like, I didn't, I didn't watch it, so I don't really know what's in it, uh, so I didn't really have time, because it was, like, literally, like, an hour before Deadline was supposed to show up, <laughs> and it was, like, an hour and a half, and I was like, haha, guess not. Um... Some Bigfoot believers think the Yeti could be responsible for the injuries 
Um, there was also an entry in one of the journals from earlier in the trip that just says, and now we know the Yeti is real. Um, but the woman, I think it was Laura who wrote it, was known to be a bit of a creative writer as well. Yeah. Um, so it could have been a joke. Like, they were very playful and stuff like that. So it could have just been a joke between them. She was known to be more descriptive in her journal entries. So. Oh, sure. Yeah, so um, if it had really happened, they think that she would have, um, you know, written more than, like, and now the Yeti is real. Yeah. Um, there's a way more possible theory that they saw a ball of lightning, um, which was, which is possibly what they, was the last photo they took um, on their camera, which was still, like, in its tripod. Um, which they scattered to avoid, um, because there was also apparently like a heat spot, like there was a spot where there was melted snow, um, like where the snow had melted a bit. So they think that the ball of lightning had kind of come towards them, not hit the camp, but towards it enough to melt the snow and to cause them to scatter. Mm -hmm. So someone was outside, um, at least a couple of them were outside taking photos up of the sky. They see the ball of lightning. They, you know, call out, hey, there's a ball of fire headed towards <laughs> us. Run. They scatter, which is why they also scatter so far, because it's about like a mile away yeah. where they end up um, or where they run to um, before they head back, and they, they are all going in, like, different directions, like, the different groups of people are headed, like, they were in different directions from the tent. Yeah. Um, so. Scattering. Very much so scattering. Um, and whatever they were wearing, so there wasn't time to gather stuff up. Um, like, there's the avalanche theory, but the snow on the site doesn't make sense for that, where they were set up, so because they were in a big open space, um, the snow wouldn't have really... Um, like collapse onto them, like and towards their tent. Um, so, and also they would. Um, there's like the rumbling and warning signs that they, as experienced hikers, mm -hmm. um, would kind of recognize to give them enough time to at least put their boots on. Yeah. Um. So, uh, the injuries on the last four bodies. Um, could be consistent with electrocution, so with extreme electrocution. So the bodies would be crushing injuries, um, could have maybe been hit by the um, lightning. Um, so that would also make sense for why the eyes would be missing, because eyes kind of like shrivel up yeah. um, during electrocution. Um, and it could also, it might be able to explain the tongues, maybe like the tongue got burnt and bit, bit off. off yeah something like that, and was just never found um, in the snow or whatever, found by animals, whatever. Um, because the investigation was shut down so quickly, there are no real answers, and the secrecy in the investigation only fuels the imagination of all the possible conspiracies and cover-ups. That's the Atlas Pass. It's always fun about that thing. Yeah. Until you mentioned finding two people, like, maybe in the snow, I was like, so, um, yeah, that was a really interesting kind of unsolved case. Yes. Um, 
I really like it because there's just like the most ridiculous theories out there. Um, I like the idea of them just doing shrooms out in the mountains, um, you know, thinking, oh, like, it'll be chill, and then uh, just, like, freaking out, and then being like, oh, crap, oh, crap. Why, why is it you like the base for just, like, um, like <laughs> just, just the, just the idea of, because they're a bunch of 20-year-olds. Yes, a bunch of young, young people. Young people who are going on this trip together. Yeah. But it also doesn't make too much sense as well because, like, they quit smoking. Yeah. Um, the only alcohol they had was, like, an additional, um, like, alcohol in, like, a first aid kit um, for, like, cleaning wounds and stuff like that, like, that kind of alcohol. Um, it is like they're very prepared to be as best, the best state of health and state of mind as they could be for this trip because I've never climbed a mountain before. But, like, I look at those things and, like, that's real huge. That's real dangerous. I am not ready for that. Um, there, like, yeah, and there are a lot of theories surrounding Safra because he's the older, mysterious ex-military man yeah. who suddenly asked to join their group a little bit before. Um, oh, one of them, Alexander Zolotov. The, the other guy's name is very last name is very similar to Safra's. Yeah, he was also a ski instructor who um, asked to join the group. Oh, who was recommended to the group um, through some mutual friends. Yeah. So they weren't, um, he also wasn't part of the, like, main group, um, but was kind of added in later. But they, he was, like, recommended. He, so, um, but yeah. Um, apart from, like, the journal entries up until the second, um, there's, there's no way to know what actually happened. And so, and like the fact, like I, I personally think it has something to do with the Russian government, military, yeah. police, whatever. I think they're like all the same thing up. at this point. Um, they yeah, like cover it because they, they don't like cover it up. It's just well, they go like they close the investigation real yes. quick, and they they just go oh hypothermia, that's um, it, because of unexplained events basically. Um. And, like, this whole, like, missing eyeball and tongue thing and the radiation. Um, and, like, tongues are one of the places you can, like, test for radiation, I think, yeah. in a body. Um, like, it's one of the, like, easier areas to check because they would absorb the most because it's, like, this wet organ that's just, like, out. Yeah, it's just hanging out there. Um, and, like, eyeballs, I guess, would be, like, a similar thing. Soft tissue. Um, mostly liquid, probably would give away more of a sign of, like, whether or not nuclear radiation was a thing. Um, and there was radiation found on the clothes. Because, like, I remember, I don't remember where I heard about this case, that's why I probably didn't remember it. But, like, I remember one of the theories, I don't know if I heard the podcast, a TV show, someone told me about it, but, like, one of the theories, like, a bear, a bear had, like, it's in a bear, and they're like, we gotta get out of here. And, like, to, just, to the, explain the crushing of the... Because bears are... Especially Russian bears. I think it's grizzlies out there. Or some sort of grizzlies are black bears. Like, the crushing of the ribs and the body. That's a couple of tons of an animal. Because bears will sometimes... With larger prey, they're not just getting fish or whatever, will, like, stomp on the bodies of their 
their their um, prey to sort of like crush the bones and get to me, but they weren't eaten; they were just crushed. crushed. So, so yeah, um, this whole mad berry. Yeah, and I think that's kind of where the Yeti theory stems from as well. Is the same kind of thing, um, but the suggestion was that. Um, there was, um, that the Yeti was, like, protecting its ground or whatever. Yeah. Um, what's also interesting that I, I didn't actually write down, um, but this wasn't the only time, um, groups have gone missing. Apparently, um, another group, another group of nine went missing on the mountain in the 60s, and, um, in 2016, a hiker went missing um, on the mountain as well in the same pass. Um, so there's um, there's a lot of like theories surrounding um, those disappearances as well. Um, I don't know. I was like, it's it's hard as well because like the thing is, people disappear, especially when hiking on mountains and stuff, a whole bunch. You hear about all the dead bodies that they find on is it Mount Everest or no, whatever? Everest like, is the most well known one. I think it might be Mount Everest. I can't remember. Like, like every so often when like the snow thaws enough and it's like dozens and dozens of people who just so like. Well, a lot of the times on Mount Everest, when people do die on expedition, a lot of the time it um, requires more resources to bring the bodies back down. Yeah. So these bodies end up getting left there for years. Mm -hmm. And so you you can actually, if you go up, because they're all frozen, they're pretty well preserved. Um, and yeah. Because, like, up near towards the top of the mountain, it, they don't fully thaw out. Um, so they just keep getting frozen and frozen and frozen every year. Yeah. Um, so you can see, like, bodies with, like, equipment from, like, the 80s and stuff. Like, there's just the it's different insane. kinds of people over the years. Um, it's insane, but, like, where I was going with that is, like, with the, the mountain and Russian racing up, there are normal people to go up there and get their mountain skiing, whatever sort of certificate. Like, even though only those three cases that you mentioned, there probably could be more, because it's so easy to disappear on a mountain mm -hmm. and not be found for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, like, it still happens on hiking trips. Now. <laughs> now, um, and not even just, like, in mountains, just, like, out in the wilderness anywhere. Yeah. Um, because basically any time you cut communication, um, you, somebody gets injured, somebody uh, is attacked. Yeah. Um, not even by people, but, like, animals, like, bears and stuff. They fall, something happens. Um, they get lost. Yeah. You know, there's no way to communicate for help, there's no way to let anybody know where they are, um, people, they, like, when search parties do go looking for them, if they went off track, off route, yeah. um, by a significant margin, then, you know, the search party could be looking in the wrong area for days. Yeah, and this is not to deter people from, like, adventuring or anything, like, by all means, explore, it's the big world, and there are plenty of things that you can't explore, but at the same time, it is a big world, and we are very small. Um, and so many things can happen besides just natural disasters. There can be people that can cover up. There can be aliens. There can be 
There's so many things. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if they weren't the first ones to disappear in those weird kind of ways we found in those weird circumstances, and they definitely won't be the last, clearly, as you said. So. Anyway, my vote is Russian cover-up. <laughs> Alright, so that was our weird and unsolved mysteries. Yeah. Um, do you have anything else to say? No, I don't have anything else to say. Like, all I say is that the world is weird and a lot of things happen that we don't know. It's too big. Too big. It kind of, it kind of freaks me out, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I prefer to believe in the weirdest of theories. Because um, I think the mundane ones um, just make me sad about the world because it just reminds me how easy it is to just die or be killed or... Yeah, like... I don't like, it's like the more realistic a situation is, I'm just like, well, sh- shit. <laughs> yeah, like there are ghosts that are blamed on this and stuff like yeah. that, spirits of the dead or whatever. Yeah. And like, to me, that's more interesting than um, there was an avalanche and they were trying to get out of their tent as quick as possible. Yeah. Because you want to think like, oh, I don't believe in ghosts. So nothing could happen to me on this trip. But then when it's like, oh, it's an avalanche, you're like, oh. Or somebody killed them. It doesn't matter if I believe in avalanches or not. Yeah. They can kill me. Exactly. (laughs) It's a whole different ballpark. Um, But anyway, I hope you guys, or we hope you guys, really enjoyed this episode. Yes. Um, This is probably going to be one of the lighter ones for the next few episodes. Yeah. We have some heavier and more politically charged ones. Lined up for the next at least two? Yeah. Yeah. Um, after that, I think I'm, I'm going to try for another light episode. Yeah, because I'm going to be fucking exhausted. I can't. <laughs> like, maybe Mari isn't for me, but, like, I'm a very sensitive person. And, like, I can only handle so much before I'm just like, darkness, life sucks, like, cries in corner. I'm like, just because so, there are plenty of good things in the world, but... There are also a lot of bad things going on in the world. And, like, the longer I've been on this planet, the more those things are more accessible for me to see and consume. So it's a lot of emotional sensory overload. Yeah. I mean, for me, what it is is that I'm I'm very interested in some aspects of these cases. So Mm -hmm. I love digging into them. But usually about halfway into the research, I'm like, this is heavy. Yes. And so, like, every time you record, I'm always like, I am so ready for the next one. And then I start doing the research, and I'm like, I need to take a break. Yes. Um, so the cases we're going to talk about over the next couple episodes are very important. Yeah. Definitely. But they're also going to be very heavy. Yeah. Um, so just want to give you a heads up and let you know what's going on. Uh, so you can be prepared, uh, and so we can prepare. Yeah. Um, but we think you'll enjoy it anyways. Um. So, don't be a murderer. And. We can't tell them not to do anything else, but the only thing they can can choose. Yeah. They can't choose not to disappear on a mountain in a mysterious way, can they? Yeah. Invest in satellite phones <laughs> if you're going to be doing extreme endurance. Yeah. If you can afford it, yeah. invest in one. You know, just make sure you always have a line of communication available to you, if possible. Call a friend. Call us. You know, just like, 
let people know where you are. Send us an email at sixsoundworldpod at gmail.com. There you go. That's your communication. <laughs> Good plug right there. Email us your story ideas. Yeah. Your interesting cases. Any sort of... Or any kind of personal story. Yeah. Because we are going to want to do another one of those episodes again. Like a friend of a friend or it's you, a family member or whatever. Yes. Although... I would like to add on to the, like, call us thing. Oh. Um, don't call us if you're a stalker. Oh, yes. I completely forgot about or that. anything like that. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. Anyway. So don't be a stalker either. Yeah. We will see you guys on the next episode. Bye.